Thank you. 
so good to his people. Thank the Lord. You may be seated if you're not already. God bless you. Just worship the Lord with all your heart. We've always got good time for praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I want to minister to a few minutes tonight on this subject, the the handiwork of God. The handiwork of God. And I know that it can be applied in a lot of ways, this little title can, but one place that it's mentioned in the Bible, very specific, Psalms 19 and verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament show his handiwork. Yes. And um, the heavens is speaking of that, that is... Uh, is speaking really of what we see when we say heavens, and that is generally speaking of the beautiful stars that he's has strewn across this great universe and um, that are actually no telling how monumental of suns they are wherever, how far they are away. Yeah. Most of them bigger than our sun, but yet so far away. And the moon, and all that we see in the heavens. And then the firmament gets down in here where we breathe, where there's oxygen and air. And so we see the handiwork of God even not only in the heavens and to declare his glory, but the firmament that shows his handiwork. And I thank God for it. There's a book in the Bible that we mention occasionally, but I... I don't know why, but I read it for years and years. I mean, my first several years of reading the Bible through and through and through, and I never paid any attention until I don't know if I read it somewhere or somebody told me or if I just noticed it. Tell you the truth, it's been so long ago. But I realized that there is a book in the Bible that God done some of the most incredible, miraculous things uh, for his people and in the governments and in the the powers that be upon this earth. It's in the book of Esther. The book of Esther where the people of God were in, uh, in, in under the occupational hand and the heavy-handedness of the enemy that had overtaken them and taken them into slavery. Yeah. 
and that whatever the working of the uh, situation was, the Jewish people uh, did not have the type of citizenship as those that held them captive, although they seemed to have their own uh, uh, life. But um, they were under the heavy hand of their enemy. And the, the queen of the great kingdom uh, rebelled against the king. And Esther, a little Jewish girl of all, I can't tell the whole story, so the, of all of the thousands and thousands of beautiful, beautiful, fair maidens in the land, this king chose a little Jewish girl to be his next queen. And she had the attitude that when the husbandman or the, the um, I'm sorry, the chamberlain came uh, to see what they might want, that is the person that was the eunuch or the person that was to see to it that these women had anything they wanted to go before the king, to, they might catch his attention. No telling what many of the women asked for in the way of perfume or glitzy jewelry or fine clothing or whatever, the finest of nail polish or lipstick or rouge or, or, or wigs or whatever may have been the, the fashion uh, of the land. Whatever they asked for, when it came Esther's time, she looked at the chamberlain and she said, whatever you know the king loves and what he likes, that's what I want you to do for me. Whatever you know the king loves, that's what I want you to do for me. And, and so she trusted the chamberlain, and there's zero doubt in my mind that the type and shadow for us today is our pastor. Just, Lord, please help my pastor to know what God loves and to help me to be and live accordingly and to present myself before the king accordingly. And... and um, And so she became the next queen, and the, the evilness in the land and the goodness in the land, Haman, the evil man in the, in the kingdom, done everything he could to trick the king and did trick the king, sort of like it was with Daniel when the, the uh, advisors to the king tricked him into saying that anyone who didn't worship or anyone who worshiped any god beside him, the king, that they would be thrown in a den of lions, knowing that they were going to entrap Daniel in that because they knew Daniel prayed three times a day and only prayed to one God, Jehovah. Amen. And so they tricked the king into that. And similar to that, Haman tricked the king into having a date when all the Jews in the kingdom would be killed, slaughtered. And... Uh, and so, without going on and on, God made a way and gave the king wisdom. And uh, Mordecai was Esther's, I'm sorry if I, I'm, I'd really, for some reason I didn't plan to tell this whole story, but I decided to tell it. <laughs> but Esther's, I'm saying it's her uncle, uh, Mordecai, uh, he went and uh, before the king, and he was also a servant, and he made provision 
so that he could, uh, he continued to want to speak to Esther until finally Esther um, listened to what he had to say. When she realized and Mordecai said to her, Esther, you're a Jewish girl. Don't you know they're going to find out you're Jewish and you're going, to be, you're going to be killed right along with everybody else? You better step in to the place where God has brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. And Esther, because of her wisdom and because how that God helped her, she maneuvered the whole situation so the Jewish people could, could defend themselves and so that the Jewish people were not slaughtered as that wicked man Haman thought they would be. And then... Mordecai, along with Esther, worked together to let the king know that Haman was working against the king and working against him behind his back. And then they brought the record book in for the king to see, and he wanted to honor somebody. And they said, well, who can I honor? And they said, well, there was a man that let us know about a coup against you sometime back. And they brought the record books to him, and it was Mordecai who had warned him about the coup that was to come against him to be assassinated. And he said, well, then we want to honor this man, Mordecai. Well, Haman somehow thought that he was the one that the king wanted to honor. So when the king says to Haman, what should we do with this person we want to honor, not knowing it was Mordecai, his mortal Jewish enemy, that was going to be honored. I want the young people to get this story because this is a story for the ages. And this, this, um, the king brought the record books to him and he, brown, he read where it was Mordecai that saved his life. And he, so he looked at Haman and said, what should we do? And Haman says, oh, thinking it was going to be him, you know. Oh, I think you ought to put him on the king's robe on him. I think you ought to put him on the king's horse. I think they'll let somebody of high honor take the reins of the horse and lead him up and down the streets of the city, yelling that this is the one that the king honors. This is the one that the king wants to exalt and give glory to. And so the king says, okay, Haman, you're a pretty high official in the, in the kingdom. You put Mordecai on my horse, and you lead him up and down the streets with my robe on, and you say to the whole city, this is the one that the king wants to exalt, Mordecai. I just always love that story. But you know the interesting thing I found after reading the book of Esther again and again and again and again, and it really actually took me a few years, young people, to know that God is not mentioned one single time in the whole book of Esther. The three-letter word in English, G-O-D, is not mentioned one single time in the whole book of Esther. And yet, as I told you that story, as we clapped and we laughed and rejoiced just a few moments as I told you that story, all of us were thinking about how great God is knowing that only God could do what was done. And so tonight, we're giving God glory even for the things that we don't know how He done it. 
We don't know how he will do it in the future. We don't know how this present situation will work out. But we just know that God is with us. Whether we see him or not. Whether we hear an audible voice or not. Whether anybody prophesies directly to us or not. We just know God is with us. And God will see us through. Hallelujah. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 18, tells another beautiful story we've always loved. And, and um, the word, verse 1, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my word. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, the spinning wheel that spins the pottery so he can put his hands and make the shapes that he wants to do as the pottery and the clay is spinning around and around. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred as he worked on it. Somehow there was a piece of rock or a little stick or something in that clay and when he got down to the point to where he was shaping that vessel and his hand, a finger, hit that stick and that stick went around that wheel that marred that, pot, that vessel in the potter's hand. Something that was not realized that it was even there that could mar it. Probably that's, that's my thoughts on how it got marred. Somehow it was marred in the hand of the potter and so he made it again another vessel as seem good, again, like Esther said, whatever you think is good for the king, that's what I want. He made it again another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the, the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah says, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, in the potter's hand, in the potter's hand. So are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. You know, the hand of God is not a tender hand when he is molding and making and protecting his people. It's a hand that is a steady hand. It's a faithful hand, but it does not give up easy. The hand of God is a hand that is there when we are seemingly being molded and being shapen into the very best of all things. And in the day or at the time when something comes out of our body or comes out of our heart or our life or either comes into that we didn't know was even there, but it somehow the vessel was marred in the potter's hand. Now, I really love this for a lot of reasons, but one thing we need to realize, that when we're in the potter's hands, and you understand the only way that the clay was chosen to be even to put on the wheel, to be made into anything in the potter's hand, the clay had to be workable. Yeah. It had to be yielding. Yeah. It had to be pliable. To where it could be shaped. It could not be 
hardened. It could not be trashy. It had to be clay that at least it was, it was usable and workable. And this is the people that surely is in the Lord's hand. Not always that perfect one. Not always that one that is so talented. Not always the one that seems to have so much to give. As the pastor said this morning, even the widow's might is more than some people give because of all she gave. But it's rather the clay that is movable and workable and flexible in the hands of the potter. And so God is not always looking for the perfect one. As a matter of fact, if it's perfect, what is it doing on the wheel? But it's on the wheel because God is working on this clay to make it into a beautiful, usable vessel. I heard a story years and years ago. It, 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 it's sort of a story of being told from the standpoint of the vessel. As though the vessel could speak, you understand. Sort of a parable type thing or a, some type of an allegory. But I heard the story of the clay that could speak, as it were, to be an example. And, and, and the clay said, oh, that hurts. Oh, don't move me. I've been in this place a long time. But the clay was picked up and pulled out of its mucky place and put in a, in, in some, on a board or some type of a platter and moved out of its natural place. And the clay said, oh, don't move me. This is where I'm, I'm, I have always been. This is where I'm from. Don't move me. But the potter moved the clay. The potter took the clay and began to smash it and to squish it, as I would say, and to move it and to kind of knead it and to kind of work it as a dough in the hand of a baker. And the clay said, oh, that hurts. Ow, that, that is too hard. Oh, please stop. That's hurting me. But the potter would not quit. And then the potter took the clay and he began to mash it around and put it in its place on the wheel. And the wheel began to turn. And the clay said, oh, I'm getting dizzy. Oh, please stop spinning me. Oh, please be still. Please stop. Oh, you're going too fast. Please don't do that anymore. But the potter just kept spinning. And the clay just kept saying, oh, as he pushed this way. And something moved. And he, the potter pushed that way. And something gave a little bit there. And the potter began to choke it a little and make a, a neck up on the vessel. And the clay said, oh, that's tight. Oh, that hurts. But the potter just kept molding and making. And after a while, finally, the spinning stopped. And the, vessel, and the clay looked at itself and said, wow. I never knew I could be so beautiful. Wow, thank you so much. I didn't know it just could happen. I'd just been just an old glob out there all my days. And then, and then the vessel felt something warm over this way, and he felt that he was being carried by the potter. And he went over, and as the potter placed him, he realized, oh, it's getting hot. 
wait, wait a minute, wait, wait, I, I, I look okay, I, I, I look good, you've made me into a beautiful vessel, stop, wait, don't, 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 and was put into an oven, and the door was closed, and the clay said, don't shut the door, don't put me in here, don't make me so hot, take the heat away, please give me relief from this heat, I've got to get out of here, it's too hot in here. And he banged on the door, but the potter paid him no attention. He kicked, and he done all he could to move around inside and get the potter's attention, but the potter would not come by. And after so long of time, the vessel seemed to just give up and seemed to just settle and become quiet. Finally, the potter came over and opened that door, and that cool air rushed in, and that vessel felt himself being lifted out of that oven and said, Oh, Finally, thank goodness, I got some cool air. So he thought, okay, now I'm finished. I'm so glad. Look at me now. Nothing can hurt me. You can hit me and I'm hard. Uh, I, you could drop me and I probably wouldn't even burst. Oh, I'm, I'm so hard and tough now. Surely, I'm so happy we're done now. But then he smelt some fumes coming his way. And the potter began to spread some type of a finish, a paint, or some chemical or something that would make it shine. And he began to take a brush and put strokes around the neck and around the girth of it. And he began to draw things on it. And the fumes were just so horrible. And the clay said, stop. Oh, <laughs> stop, please. You're gagging me. I can't take any more. And the potter paid him no attention as he kept on coating that vessel with, with the chemical and with the hardener that he knew it needed. And finally, after a long time, the potter laid down the brush, put down the chemicals. And he seemed to have left the clay. And the clay said, hey, come back. Way, where are you going? I'm over here and you put me in the on the wheel and spun me and you pushed me and shoved me and, and you, you poked me and then you put me in the oven and you, you put all this chemical on me. Come back, come back. Where are you going? But after a while, all the fumes went away and all the varnish dried and all the paint dried. And the potter came back, set him in the most prime place in his shop. And from there, the Lord had use of a vessel of honor fit for the master's use. There's a lot of things about our life that we don't understand. But God knows what he's doing. The old children's song that I sang when I was young and we talked to children growing up over the years in this church, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. And it goes on and on to talk about that story of how that God knows what he's doing. Brother Grisham, that we went and attended his funeral just the last couple of days. We were gone again and flew right out and then flew right back in. But we went to that funeral and, and uh, it was a, just a great two-hour dynamic uh, two hours of a four-hour funeral. I'll tell you what, it was awesome. But there were so many good things said. But we, my wife and I, on our 39th wedding anniversary, 
said, we want to do something special. What we ought to do, it's not like the 40th or the 25th or the 50th golden anniversary, but 39, it's an odd year, but what can we do on our anniversary? And as usual, we very seldom actually went as my son and his wife, my precious daughter-in-law, their anniversary is today, but they understand you can put God first and he'll bless you with even a better trip some other time. And, and I'm not saying you have to always do that, but in this case. But my wife and I, whatever time we could, we went up and said, this is for our anniversary. And we went up and visited Brother Grisham on, his 30, on our 39th, and we've been now married 42 and a half years. So what is that, uh, three and a half years or whatever it is ago, that we went and visited Brother Grisham when he still lived in Nashville, Tennessee, with his daughter and son-in-law, Brother Ron and Cheryl Beckton. And... and um, and we went up to see him. We talked with him. We got a motel, and we went over and visited him two or three hours each day and talked to him and laughed. And, you know, the whole time we're there, he's had strokes, and he's just been battled this horrible, horrible affliction for years and years, his last few years. But, oh, in his prime, I told my wife, I looked around, and I said, there's probably a good at least 100 preachers here tonight. And I think about 99 of them had something to say. But anyway, there was a good 100 preachers there that night. I looked at my wife and I said, you know what? If he'd have passed away 25 years ago, there'd have been a 1,000 here. Because, you know, the older you get, many of your own friends have passed on. Or many of your own friends are weak and feeble themselves and not able to travel. And so sometimes as people get old, they don't have a lot of people come to a funeral. But that's okay. There's a big crowd waiting in heaven. <laughs> Let's take a minute. Let's take a minute. Hallelujah. But we were talking to Brother Grisham, and, and uh, he, we, it was one point that he got kind of talking a little bit about some of his trials that he'd gone through. And his youngest son, he was telling, he started, he started crying, and he was the type of man that could literally, when he's teaching and preaching, you would be crying, and literally within 30 seconds, you'd be rolling out of your seat laughing. Just, he, that's just the way his ministry was. And he was so dynamic and so deep and so powerful and so tender in his spirit. And he'd, do, he'd sing songs much, much, much older than what I sang tonight, right in the middle. He'd start like right now and just start singing it for no, just out of the blue with no musicians or anything. He'd just start singing. He's a great person. Matter of fact, Brother, Brother, Brother Paul Mooney asked him, and I had the video, I have the video of it somewhere, but he said, I want you to come and just sing me a revival. He said, I know you're one of the greatest preachers in the world. I want you to just come and sing me a revival. And I got the video of it, and he just starts singing, and just people would start weeping and getting the Holy Ghost, getting healed, and all kind of things happening. But when he was telling us when he was up there, just after that great ministry, and he was in such such trials, and he was sitting there in a wheelchair. We were sitting in his living room, and he said, Brother Barham, Sister Barham, he just started crying. We started crying with him. He said, my youngest son came through, come by a few couple of years ago, whatever it was. He said, I... He said his wife left him. He come by and said, Dad, I don't know what in the world I'm going to do. My wife is leaving me. She's divorcing me. She don't want to live for God anymore. She don't want to be around me. She don't want to be any part with me. He said, I don't know what to do. And but look, Of course, you know, one preacher to another, you, you, you feel a little bit embarrassed when your child divorces or something, you know. And, and he's, he's feeling embarrassed. And he said, oh, Barnum, I... And, you know, sometimes you almost apologize to people as to what he was doing. He said, I'm so sorry. He said, I, 
my son came behind. He said, we both got right down here on the floor. He pointed to the carpet down there. He said, we both got right down on the floor. We both beat the floor. He said, we both cried. and We both just put arms around each other and prayed and prayed. Because he said, I never dreamed in my life that my children would go through some of the things they've gone through and that I would go through some of the things I've gone through. He said, but I know that God is faithful. And I can tell you this, whatever he had been through, it made him everything God wanted him to be. And on that, on that recent day, not too long ago, just a few days ago, God took him to that place of absolute perfection. Thank God for the handiwork of God. Thank you for the handiwork of God. I'm thankful for the handiwork of God. Amen. Amen. You know, God shows us and proves to us that he will not give up on us. It was, it was the clay in the hands of the potter. And listen, it was marred. And, and this, it just touches me so deep to see this. And it makes me see the faithfulness of God. Hear this and know this and shake this in the devil's face. Take your Bible if you have to. And if you could, pound the devil to death with it. Let him know and, and realize the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. It wasn't marred because it jumped off the wheel and went flying out to the left field. It wasn't marred because it decided it wanted to do its own thing. It was marred in the hand of the potter. Even in the hand of Almighty God, there will be occasions where you will feel that you have been marred. But just stay in the hand of the potter because he said, I will make it yet another vessel. I can assure you that no matter what you are going through or what you've been through, God has a place for you. And God is still working on you. I'm almost done here. But I, I read Psalms 51, verse 10, beginning. David is, when, he, when David is writing this psalm here, it was after that he knew that he had failed God. He had sinned against God and against his own, his own family and against his kingdom. He had sinned. And then when he was praying and begging God to forgive him, he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me, within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. God doesn't give up easy. God, even though the vessel is marred in the hand of the potter, he keeps on working to make it yet another vessel. I can tell you that if the vessel was supposed to be tall and skinny, but somehow or another it, the top of it fell off because it was marred, God said, well, you'll just have to be a short and stout one because I'm not giving up. 
I'm not giving up. You may have thought you were going to do this, and you might end up doing that, but I'm not giving up. You might have thought you were going to end up there and you end up here, but I'm not giving up. God's not giving up on us. God's not giving up on me. God's not giving up on you. God's not giving up on your marriage. God's not giving up on your children. God's not giving up on your children's marriage. God's not giving up on your grandchildren. God's not giving up. You know, I don't know if it'll end up in the book of Bellevue or not. I don't know if the book of Bellevue will ever be printed or not. I think it will be. But I, I wrote in the book, and I may end up putting it in a different book that I'm working on as well. But I, I'm, I'm, I said I was about to quit, but I think I'm going to tell this one more thing. I know you all so, so surprised. But um, I kind of put a scenario there, pastoring 36 years, and now I continue to work with Pastor Jason for the last six years. Believe that? Coming up on seven years, we're going to celebrate this year. <laughs> but through the years pastoring, I realized something after a few years. People would come to this church, come to these altars, whether it was here or across town, and they would pray, cry, just a sinner, just not just a sinner, but so many times, just an absolute broken, riddled, shredded, beat up, beat down sinner. Just the depths of sin. We'd pray for them. They would weep and leave the altar, the carpet wet with tears. And get up and with rejoicing in victory, renewed in the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. People in the church begin to get to know them. Come to find out they were raised in church in Michigan. Indiana, New York, Maine, California, somewhere. They were raised in church, apostolic. Got cold in God and began to waver and began to get lukewarm in a way. Their marriage fell apart. Got hung up on drugs or alcohol or whatever. Went through one partner to another partner to another partner and one marriage and out and into another and out and now here we are my wife and I have many private conversations in our home and one particular anyway and, and I know that God does not condone divorce from his people, saved people. I, for any people, for that matter, but especially those that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. 
I know he don't condone it. But people that did exactly what I just said, prayed through, we rejoiced. And even as deep as it hurt me and deep as it well, still hurts, but at that time, as deep as it hurt me to find out after all that rejoicing, after all that shouting, after all that speaking in tongues, after all that mercy and forgiveness that we, that we saw God pour out, come to find out they were in the church, husband and wife, couple of children, lived for God for 10, 15 years, backslid, came down here. Now they got gray hair or whatever color they choose, really. <laughs> and they, they just, they're, they're elderly and they're not young anymore. And we see that mercy and we see that victory and we rejoice. And pretty soon they're in the choir or they're playing a musical instrument and nobody knows what happened in Michigan. Nobody in Bellevue knows what happened in California. All we know is, is that God poured out his mercy, poured out his spirit, filled him with the Holy Ghost, the real deal. No, no Salamahanda Kawasaki in their ear. Repeat after me. The real deal. What am I going to do, I say? In the private of my home, I say, what are we going to do? These people are not right with God. Why would God give the Holy Ghost to somebody that is living in adultery? I definitely didn't plan to say this. So then about twelve years, something like that, I'm guessing, into my ministry, a young man and his wife that he was my right arm, right hand, young man, young minister in the church. I could go off and preach camp meetings in the summer and come home and almost count on it. Two or three brand new people baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost while I was gone to this young man preaching. He got cold in the Lord, began to, he and his wife began to do things that were wrong, began to drift away and even got into some fairly immoral corruption. They divorced. On Mother's Day, one time, one day, it's probably been now at least 15 or 18 years ago, we were having Mother's Day service right here. And this man came walking into this building. His wife had already come that had never known about the Lord or at least not about the Holy Ghost and about the, you know, the deity of Jesus Christ and all that we know about Jesus. But uh, she had already come through her in-law, her parents-in-law and others, whoever may have talked to her. And she would already come into the church, and now then he on Mother's Day, said, I'm not going to church. I'm not ever going back to that church for sure. They're too strict for one thing. I'm going to go out here 
somewhere to where nobody cares how I live as long as I pay my tithe and give my offerings. He didn't say those words, but that's exactly what he was saying. So he pulled out his stucco equipment and said, I think I'm going to put a fresh coat of stucco on this part of my house. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Sunday on Mother's Day. He started mixing that mud, and he got it mixed up, and he started putting those coats of stucco on his house. I'm talking about just like somebody turned on a switch nearly. Clouds came up, and a downburst of rain came upon him. And it was washing the mud off about as fast as he was putting it on. He got so aggravated, so frustrated, he just put it down, went in the house, took a shower, got to church here on Mother's Day thinking it was like almost noon. And let me tell you, that's one Sunday. We better be glad we had long church. <laughs> it was almost noon. But we had a guest speaker, and a lot of special things had been done on Mother's Day, so the preacher was still preaching when he walked in. And I remember when that preacher got finished preaching, that man came stumbling down that aisle right here and, and knelt right here, right there, and squalled and bawled just like the folk from Michigan did. Just like the folks from Indiana did when they came back to God. Squalled and bawled and can you believe the audacity God filled him with the Holy Ghost, renewed him in the Holy Ghost? Speaking in tongues, knowing this Selma Honda Kawasaki stuff, not, no, none of that again. Nobody in his ear saying, repeat after me. It was the real deal. How dare God take up a bode in an adulterer life? That day I went home, and I know the parents are here. That day I went home, they, they know this, I talked to them about it, and they had their own doubts. That day I went home to my wife, and instead of rejoicing, I was weeping. And I said, I cannot, I don't know what to do. This young man grew up in this church, backslid away from God, him and his wife, I mean, it wasn't like they just passed through. They were established. He was one of my young preachers. They'd done some of the most worst sins you can imagine. He started dating around and committing even more of the worst sins you can imagine. Got remarried. Came back. His wife came into the church. Some of the family started coming to the church. And that day, God filled him with the Holy Ghost. And I'm telling you the absolute straight as an era truth. I went home that day suffering in my soul. What are we going to do? And my wife, y'all think she's tough, but tell you the truth, she's the real more tender one of us too. If it wasn't for her, there's a lot of y'all may be sizzling right now. She said, honey, you cannot 
deny God. I said, but honey, the Bible says, except this is the very reason you divorced, you cannot get married again. And she said, but honey, we didn't give him the Holy Ghost. And I said, but honey, the Bible still says what it says. And we went back and forth for days and days, not arguing, but me sorrowing and her trying to make me rejoice. I, I don't have all the answers, but I'm telling you one thing that I found out after all those years at that point I'd been pastoring probably at least 25 years by then. And I, and, and I said... I don't know what God's doing, but God knows what he's doing. I can't deny what God's doing. And let me tell you something. If any person takes a testimony like this and uses it for an excuse to divorce your husband or wife and think you're okay. You're, you're not right with God even now as I speak if you're looking for an excuse to divorce. This young man, I mean... He had this big beard that he'd grown. He groomed it. He was so proud of it. He knew that when I pastored, I didn't think that was a good thing to do. So he shaved it all off, went home that day and shaved it off. Nobody asked him to. And I've never said it was a sin. I'm not tonight trying to tell people it's a sin. It's not, that's not my point. That was my preference, and that's what I asked when I pastored. And I said... And he went home, though, just because he knew how I felt about it. He shaved it all off and got cleaned up and came back the next service, and he just stayed in this altar and stayed in this altar. Every service he's in this altar, every service he was praying for the people. After a while, you know, after a while he was, he was witnessing. He was bringing other people to church. Him and his wife were serving God together. They were just going on with God. And he served the Lord for a few years. I don't know if it was three or what it was. I can't remember, three or four. It may have been a little more, a little less. And he started losing weight. And I just, he couldn't figure out why he was losing weight. And nobody could figure it out. And finally, he broke down and went to the doctor. And he was far beyond HIV. He had full-blown AIDS. And he died a few months after that. This church, everybody that was here then knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's not a secret. And I thought, oh, God. I mean, you know, I've come up around a lot of people in my life and preaching. And it seems to me like as bishop, I can't get through a sermon without digging a little bit. So here I am. Here I am again. But I, I've been through a lot. I've seen a lot. I've heard a lot of people preach in my life. And I, whew, 
I know of people that preach that even if you were a sinner and you got divorced, you could never be saved if you married again. And certainly, you could never be saved if you married again after you were saved in the church. And then you divorced and remarried. You could not be saved. You were living in adultery every day. And that's the way I've always felt about it. I don't have the answer at this moment. All I know is that I have watched God work miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And I didn't give them the Holy Ghost, and I didn't save them, and I didn't forgive them, and I didn't deliver them, and I didn't, I didn't jerk them and pull them all the way. They went all the way with God. And I'm just going to tell you that God told Ezekiel, what was God telling Israel? Why? Is it that God rejected Israel over and over and caused them to be allowed to be taken into captivity? Adultery. Spiritual. Worshiping other gods. And yet God, when they got low enough and they got hungry enough and they got desperate enough, they came back to God and God says, come on. And that's what he was saying to Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Remember, Jeremiah was the prophet that made the kings and made the rulers so angry that he spent most of his ministry in those slime pits. It was like a dungeon, but it was just full of water and rain and, and, and clay. Like it's out here on this property. Some of you know what I mean. And, it's, and, he, and, and old bodies that had decayed in there. I'm sorry. This is the way it was skeletons that was down in there. They threw people down this old pit, and Jeremiah spent a good portion of his ministry down there in that pit. What was he doing? Cussing the kings, saying horrible things? No, he was weeping over the people of God. Down in that old clay pit, this book of Jeremiah, folks, wasn't written by some pristine, sharp-dressing fellow in the king's court. It was written by a man who spent most of a lot of his ministry in an old slimy pit. Jeremiah. And he said, Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house. I know you're so grieved about Israel. I know they're so far from me. I know they've messed themselves up. They've goofed themselves up. They're so goofed up. Jeremiah seemed to think they could never even find their way back. But God said, in the potter's hand, I will make it yet another vessel. It may not be what it would have been otherwise, but I can still make it another vessel. Now, my message tonight is not about marriage and divorce. And I'm not going to go into that again about people making excuses. Mercy's mercy, and I'm not, I'm not changing my mind for nitpickers and judge people. Whatever God does, God does. But I'm going to tell all of us, we ain't seen the whole story yet. Anybody believes that with me? Let's worship God.
He's still working on me. He's still working on you. He's still helping you. He's still keeping you. He's still refining you. He's still protecting you. He's still talking to you. He's still pulling for you. He's still drawing for you. Scripture tells us the only sin that God won't forgive is blaspheme against the Holy Ghost. And I'm not even sure most people even know what that is. So don't worry tonight. God loves you and wants you to be saved. Oh, let's pray a minute. Hallelujah. I don't have the answers, but God does. I don't know how to help some people, but God does. Pastor weeps and prays, and I know exactly how it is. He don't know how to help some people, but God does. Well, you don't know what in the world to do with that son, that daughter, but God does. Oh. Just recently. can't get too plain with this because a lot of people watch us live on the internet but I know that there are people that God has filled with the Holy Ghost and shown them and the understanding of the miracle of water baptism in Jesus name and they just don't seem to quite get the hang of actually living a Christian walk go many places around the world do all so many things, so many things that you'd wonder if will they ever live long enough to really walk with God or are they, are they ever going to really come into any kind of perfection or are they ever going to grow in God at all? And yet we keep on praying and we see God work one thing after another thing and one step after another step and the impossible begins to come to pass. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. There are people in this world right now that are far from here, but there's some of your loved ones, and God's working on them right now. God's working some things out that you don't even know how He's going to work out, but God is working some things out right now. Let's pray a minute right now in Jesus. I think we ought to pray for our loved ones. Let's do it right now. I think we ought to pray for people we've been witnessing to on the job. We ought to pray for somebody right now that we know needs to be saved or needs to be, needs to be restored, needs to repent, needs to get right with God in some way. In the name of Jesus, give us revival. Lord, give revival. People that seem to be blinded, open their eyes. People that seem to be stubborn, Lord, break over that old stony heart and make it a heart that can be molded. Oh, God, in the name of Jesus, people that are in possible situations, Lord, make the impossible possible because of your blood and your mercy and your power and your grace. <coughs> Hallelujah! Hallelujah! 
Parents, oh, parents, young people, oh, young people, hear me. If you fail God, if you fail him miserably, young people, whoever may need this tonight, don't think you've got to leave the church. Don't think you've got to go out there and get on drugs and alcohol and go to jail. Don't think that you, you can't come to church because you don't live everything we preach. God wants you in his house. We want you in his house. God wants you to come on anyhow. God wants to keep you on his wheel. He wants to make you into a beautiful vessel for his glory. Don't give up on God because God's not giving up on you, young lady. Young man, don't give up on God. Young couple, married couple, man, woman, grandma, grandpa, don't give up because God's not giving up. Oh. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray for our loved ones. Let's pray for our co-workers. Let's pray for our neighbors. Let's pray in Jesus' name. <coughs> would you stand with me? And would you just lift your voice and lift your hands up? And let's prevail for our lost loved ones. Let's prevail and travail for those who are undone without God. There is nothing impossible. No matter how many times they failed, God is still able to restore them. God is still able to bring them no matter how far they've gone. Keep working on me, God. Keep working on us, Lord. Keep working on our loved ones. Don't let them go. We're not going to let up. We're not going to let loose. We're not going to give up. So, Lord, don't give up on them. Don't let them go. Keep stirring them. Keep moving them. You've, you've done things before. You've brought them in before. You can bring them in again. Oh, Lord God, when it looked impossible, you've done the impossible before. Do the impossible again. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hila la basata de la de moquita la bahaya. Hila bakata da 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 ba yo to la baya da bahaya. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God's not giving up. God knows what he's doing. I don't know how. I don't know what he's doing, but he knows what he's doing. Right now, he knows what he's doing. Right now, he knows how to reach that mother, that father, that sister, that brother. Right now, he knows how.
Lord, we're not giving up. Lord, we're calling on your name. Lord, we're pleading for your mercy. Lord, we're reaching for you for our children's sake, for our life's sake, for our own sake, and for the sake of all, we're reaching for you, Jesus. We can't see the hand of God, but God is working. God wasn't mentioned by name in the book of Esther, but we can't help but know that God was working all the way through the book of Esther. God was working. And you may not see it, but God's working. I'm telling you, God is a working. Speak to us, God. 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 Just keep on reaching down inside of us, God. Keep on reaching down in our soul, Lord. Oh. God gave me a vision several months ago in the prayer room. I was praying in the prayer room, been praying for a while, and all of a sudden I was just praying about a lot of things. that I felt like I needed some things from God for my own self. I saw the hands of God. I saw two hands come out of heaven. And somehow, I don't understand it, but they reached right down into my chest. And when it did, I just saw blood all over the arms of my God. I saw as though that he was just like rearranging some things and just tumbling all inside of me. (laughs) And when he withdrew his arms, the Spirit of God came upon me and the power of God moved upon me. I'm telling you, God showed me that, and I want you to know God is doing that for everyone that will call on his name. Hallelujah. He's doing it tonight. Don't you doubt it. He's plundering the hearts of your loved ones right now. He's plundering their hearts. He's taking out the old stony hearts and putting in a heart of flesh. When Zion travails, sons and daughters are born. When Zion travails, children are born into the kingdom. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Woo! Thank you, young people, for praying like you do. Thank you, mothers and fathers, for praying like you do. Thank you, elder senior citizens, for praying like you do. God's working in our behalf. 
There's a great harvest coming into this church. Not only what's coming in now, but we haven't hardly seen anything compared to the harvest God's bringing into this church. Woo! Hallelujah! God's fixing some things that we didn't think could be fixed. God's putting some things together we didn't think He could put together. God is straightening some things out we didn't think could be straightened out. God is fixing things. God is working on things we didn't think was possible. But God is making it possible in Jesus' name. I just feel like just putting this in God's hands and us just getting ready to go home with such a faith. I feel faith. I feel it in my soul. And I see it upon your faces. Faith that God is doing things that we can't see. Don't give up on your husband. And wives, please don't. <laughs> this almost sounds funny, but I'm going to say it anyway. Please don't be too hard on your husbands. <laughs> you hear me? God sees something good in them. Husbands, don't be so rough on your wives. God sees something good. Parents, let's be parents, but let's don't be too hard on our children. Let's have faith. God knows how to work it out. Let's give it to God one more time. In the name of Jesus, we trust you, Lord. We praise you and thank you. I love you and adore you, and there's none like unto you. We look for a great harvest. We look for your mercy every day. We look for your salvation every day for our loved ones and for all those around us. Thank you for the harvest. Thank you for the promise. Thank you for the fulfillment. Thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. So mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting. Yielded and I bless you. God is making us. You can count on it.